Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. There's an interesting movement in the story. We're actually now embarking along with the apostles on their second missionary journey. I mean, we're moving now through Acts. And today's topic is a bit tricky, like last week's. God redirects a duet into a trio that becomes a quartet. Hopefully it will begin to make sense as we make our way through the text. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16. It's going to be verse 1 to 10, rather than verse 1 to 15. Verse 1 to 10. And if you turn with me to Acts 16, I'm going to start reading. Reading from the ESV. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us, to preach the gospel there. Now, can I just say, if you're not a Christian today, can I just encourage you, welcome you to, to listen in as the scriptures speak specifically and particularly to Christians today. And Christians, can I ask you to follow with me carefully through the text? Because if you don't, you will get lost, like I did a couple of times. Now, we saw last week that Paul and Barnabas have now been mutually separated. After working together in ministry for seven years, they're now part company because of a sharp disagreement over John Mark. And it's particularly because he determined to abandon them at the beginning of their first missionary journey. And both leaders end up going in different directions. Barnabas and John have gone to Cyprus. Paul and Silas now go to Syria and Cilicia. And we learned that God will ultimately work this out for good. 
But, as we've been talking about in our community groups last week, this is not an excuse for Christian quarrelling. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 to 25, it says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and a Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents. How? With gentleness. Conflict and confrontations will happen, yet we must be careful to make sure that we are arguing the right point for the right reason at the right time and in the right way. We now hear nothing more in Acts about Barnabas. The narrative continues to keep the camera, as it were, on Paul, along with his new associates. So it's it's Paul and Silas, and in a moment we're going to meet Timothy, and at a certain point we will also see the introduction of an invisible guest who's not named, but we know who he is, yet his name isn't mentioned, and it's not Jesus. More about that in a moment. So, okay, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. Now, these cities were the final destination on the last missionary journey that we saw back in chapter 14. It's the, it was the end point, or at least the last city they visited, right? And, and then they eventually end up going back on themselves. So let's just remind ourselves briefly with regard to the, the journey. No. Ooh. Good. Right. So they originally were in Antioch in Syria, and they left there and they went to Cyprus. And then from Cyprus they went up to Pamphylia, up to Antioch, then to Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, which is where they ended, Right. But then they came back on themselves and they went back to Antioch. Now, it's funny because this time what they end up doing is they end up traveling west now from where they originally were. So they're in Antioch. They now end up traveling west back into the heart of where they came from, back to Derbe, the church that was there. And... Arriving at Derbe and Lystra, they find a a disciple there whose name is Timothy. And the first thing that we notice about Timothy is that he is what? I'm going to ask you to just look back at your Bibles. He's what? He's a disciple. Knowing that it was Paul and Barnabas that were responsible for bringing the gospel to this city probably meant that Timothy was a product of their ministry five years previously. Now Paul later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 refers to Timothy as his son or his child in the faith. And he's not just a convert, but he's a disciple. Now we had a leadership meeting yesterday and we were talking about the difference between a disciple and a false convert. How many of you know a disciple goes on to maturity and a life of fruitfulness? 
whereas a false convert doesn't mature and doesn't bear fruit. So, 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. Thank you, Lord. It says, The Lord knows those who are his. Let them that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. See, that's a genuine believer. Someone who names the name of Christ, but in, con- in, con- in conjunction with that profession, they depart from iniquity. They're a, a faithful disciple. And Timothy has done this. That is, he's departed from iniquity. But he was also pursuing righteousness. He's a genuine believer. And no great wonder, because he has a great godly heritage. It says he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. And this is probably a reference to her that is his mother becoming a Christian as a result of the first missionary journey. But it says that she was also Jewish, right? So Second Timothy two, Second Timothy chapter one says about her, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That is Paul speaking to Timothy. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then also in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So this Jewish woman in verse 1 is Timothy's mum, Eunice. And he also has a Jewish believing grandmother whose name is Lois. These women, they evidently took their role as parents very seriously. Another thing that we were talking about yesterday at our meeting was the need for parents to teach their children. You know, I think in our society, we've, in a general sense, relinquished our responsibility to teach our children. And I include myself in that because I see what I have flopped and failed in the past. Yet, from a Jewish point of view, Deuteronomy 6 says the responsibility of an individual who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, it then goes on to say that then they ought to teach their children. When you're in the way, when you're lying down, when you're on the bus, when you're in the car. And you can't teach them unless that word is actually in your heart, right? You can't pull out your Bible when you're driving. So the responsibility to teach children fundamentally isn't the schools. The responsibility to teach children um, isn't necessarily and fundamentally the children's church's responsibility. And it's neither the youth church's responsibilities it's our responsibility as parents so one of the things we were talking and praying about which is something that you hear more about in the coming weeks and months is how can we equip ourselves as parents to train up our children and follow the great example of Lois and Eunice parents teaching their children the scriptures and this is what happened to Timothy in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 Verse 14 and 15, it says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that is the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, Lois evidently instructed Eunice, who in like fashion instructed Timothy. And possibly without a husband around. Timothy's father was a Greek. 
and probably still a heathen. So he could have been around, but if he's a heathen and he's not Jewish in his perspective, then he's kind of present but absent, at least in a spiritual sense, from a spiritual point of view. And again, isn't that so common in our culture? I mean, it's one thing to have a dad home, but it's another thing to have a dad home and present, apart from being present and absent. So Timothy's father was a Greek, and um, I say that he probably was still a heathen because we're going to see in a minute that Timothy wasn't circumcised, probably because his dad wasn't circumcised. So as much as Lois has taught her son the scriptures verbally, it's possible that she, at one point, failed to set an example practically, getting yoked together with a quote-unquote unbeliever. And it doesn't mention if they were married. It just says Timothy's father, not Lois's husband. So it was a mixed marriage, or sorry, it was a mixed, ambiguous relationship that potentially wasn't a marriage, producing a mixed child. Some commentators suggest that Timothy's father had possibly died because of the tense of the verb, was. Timothy's father was a Greek, not just speaking about his nationality, but talking about the fact that it was passed in terms of him now not being present. Was, meaning he no longer is alive, that is. We're not sure. Verse 2 says he was well spoken of, that is Timothy, he was well spoken of by the brothers, not just at Lystra, but also, if you notice, at Iconium. So word had gone abroad about Timothy. He, his, his good reputation was widespread. And seemingly, for all these reasons, Paul wanted Timothy to now accompany him, it says in verse 3. And he took him and circumcised him. This seems to confirm what we said earlier about Timothy becoming Paul's son. As it were. I mean... His dad is not around, and if he is, he doesn't seem to have much influence in his life because Paul feels at liberty to take him now and circumcise him. I mean, he ain't just going to take somebody and... <laughs> I mean, circumcision is, is quite a substantial act, right? And he's a big... Timothy's a big boy, probably a, you know, a young man, but big enough for circumcision to be substantial an issue. You know what I mean? And it seems as if Paul just takes charge of this young man's life. And I suggest that his dad evidently wasn't around or didn't have much influence in, in his life. But, wait a minute. Wasn't it Paul who, a few weeks ago, fought tooth and nail against circumcision just in in the last chapter right now this is astonishing one minute Paul you're saying that we don't need to be circumcised the next minute you seem to be saying that we do which is it Paul I mean verse 4 says that Paul actually is carrying the very letter that contained the conclusion of the conference 
which was that circumcision was no longer necessary, right? He's got the letter, and he's going to all of the churches communicating this message. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 2, notice who's speaking. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And we know that Paul was a man who wanted Christ to be advantageous in the life of individuals. Galatians 5 verse 3 says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. My goodness. Galatians 5 verse 6 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So then why on earth, Paul, would you then have Timothy circumcised? I mean, Paul seems to be quite clear here in the very book that was written to the believers in this region. Because where are we? We're in Galatia. And this letter that Paul writes is to these Galatians. But now in the midst of their company, he's doing the opposite. I mean, this is Galatians. And the language suggests that it was it was either Paul that circumcises now Timothy personally or personally arranged Timothy's circumcision. I mean, was Paul a schizophrenic? Well, we get the answer at the end of verse 3. Paul circumcised Timothy because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. See, Paul recognized that if the Jews knew that Timothy wasn't circumcised, it would frustrate the mission. Jews would not open the proverbial door of their houses, let alone the door of the synagogues, to the message. Which, if you remember, was Paul's strategy, right? In every city that he visited, that was to go to the synagogues. So this was a strategic move on Paul's behalf, not a salvific move. This is nothing to do with salvation. It wasn't done in order to bring salvation for Timothy. It was done in order to remove the obstacles that might prevent the message of salvation. Jacob Prash is going to be our guest speaker coming on the 21st of November. Some of us went to see him on Tuesday night. He's a character. If you've ever seen him, well, I should say if you've ever heard him, you know that. If you ever see him, then you know that. Because he's a quirky, unusual-looking individual. But the guy is serious when it comes to the Word of God. And I mean, it's like he, he really don't care much for his, his, his appearance. His mind ain't on them things. So he'll come and his tie's a bit twisted and, you know what I mean, his hair might be a bit disheveled. But he don't business about them things. You can see that, and, and, and it, if you're here on the 21st, you'll see what I mean. But I would encourage you to be here on the 21st and bring, you know what I'm saying, your friends, particularly your unsaved friends, um, because we will be in for a treat. I kid you not. Well, Jacob Prash, he is a Jewish Christian. He's Jewish by birth. He grew up in the States, and he lives in the UK and he's a Christian. He's Jewish, but he's a Christian, which is really quite an, a, an unusual combination, right? And check it. He doesn't eat pork 
Why? Because he can't? No. He doesn't eat pork so as not to cause offense or an unnecessary stumbling block because his, families, his family are unconverted Jews. So they still, they're still like, we can't eat pork, right? He keeps Shabbat or the Sabbath. Not because he has to, but in order to identify with his family members. We find the same principle in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 to 23. It says, for though I am free from all, says Paul, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. But notice, not, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. So he come across like he's, like he's obedient to the law, but he's, he's not really putting himself under the law. Verse 21, to those outside the law, that's Gentiles, right? I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, mind you, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I became all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Now, don't take those verses and feel like, huh, why? That means I could do anything then. No, it doesn't. We talked about that a few weeks ago, and I'm going to talk about it further in a moment. Things to do and not to do. Not because of law. Not trying to make myself righteous before God, because I am already righteous if I put my trust and my faith in Christ, and so are you. So it's not doing anything extra to try to get God to accept me. He already has in Christ. Right? So not because of law, but because of the perfect law of liberty. Under different circumstances in Galatians 2, Paul refused to have Titus circumcised. Why? Because others were requiring it as a means to acquire salvation. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Not when it comes to salvation, this issue of cir circumcision, no. Titus, you don't need to be, circumcised to be circumcised to be saved. See, but Paul did this, that is, at least circumcised Timothy, in order to accommodate the Jews, in order to accommodate the gospel. Again, this proves that Timothy must have been a dedicated disciple, willing to subject himself to that. I mean, and at this point, I have to ask the question, what are we willing to do for the sake of the gospel? Uh, we're disciples, right? Well, disciples very frequently, very often, have to make sacrifices. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, you want to follow me? And they did. He says, well, if you do want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to pick up your cross. Then you can follow me. 
It's quite easy to say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. But following Jesus can be a painful process. It will mean at some point, in some way, sacrifice. Just like Jesus, for him, he had to die on a cross. And although we will not have to die on a cross literally, we will have to die on a cross spiritually. And I know that some of you are experiencing that. Some of you have experienced that. And if you haven't, if you're a disciple, you will. Someone said that our lives as a Christian is a three-part circle, right? You're either going into difficulty... You're either in the middle of difficulty or you're just coming out of some kind of difficulty. (laughs) And if you're a disciple, you say amen. Amen. So the question is, as disciples, what are we willing to do? Or, more to my point, what are we willing not to do for the sake of the gospel? Just like we saw last, last time at the end of chapter 15. The Gentiles who were now becoming Christians, it was wonderful. They were all coming in in droves. And the Judaizers were saying, no, 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 no. They can't come in unless they're circumcised and they keep the law of Moses. The disciples says, no, that's not true. You lot come in. It's all good. But now that you're in, we're not going to give you some laws that you need to keep. But we're going to recommend that you make some sacrifices. And one of the things you're going to have to sacrifice is the food that you'd normally sacrifice to your, to your idols. Don't do that anymore. An idol is nothing, it's, you know, it's just a piece of wood, Paul says. But your Jewish counterparts, your Jewish brothers and sisters will be offended if they see you eating that meat. If they see you eating meat that has been strangled and hasn't had the blood poured out properly it's not kosher are you willing to make some sacrifices boy well we've received salvation in Christ our sins have all been forgiven and now we're going to heaven we're going to be there eternally no hell can I really make that sacrifice not, not eating the meat I mean it's a no brainer right of course you will make that sacrifice If you love your brother, that is. Again, we're covering old ground. The Gentiles who were now becoming Christians were challenged to not do the things that they used to do that are not necessarily sinful. Not because they had to, but because it would accommodate the gospel in a heavily Jewish culture. You see that? Okay, well, how about contextualizing that how about our 21st century culture we don't live back then and it's easy to say yeah they shouldn't eat meat strangled yeah shouldn't eat meat offered up to idols yeah it's easy for us to say that well what about the stuff then that we are confronted with by way of challenge in our time in our day and time what are, some of the, what are some of the issues we're confronted with? Well, let me just mention a few. How about dress? Or the lack of it? How about cosmetic surgery? Remember, we're not talking about laws that you must obey. 
I mean, this is stuff you can choose to do. How about, we talked about it, mentioned it last time, tattoos. Now, I mentioned that one straight after cosmetic surgery because both of them are permanently affecting the body forever. Well, at least until you get your new body right. How about the issue of alcohol? We're talking about things you can do, but we're also talking about things that you may not necessarily do. Because you're free to do it, but you're also free not to do it. How about circumcision? And I mentioned circumcision because it's still pretty relevant today. I had a friend who is Jamaican who got married to a lady who's from Ghana. And they, they had a very, very difficult time over, should we circumcise our son? One said, we have to. And the other said, why? And it was an issue. I mean, even to the point where it wasn't fundamentally this problem that caused them to separate, but they ended up divorcing. Now again, that's not the fundamental reason. How about going to the pub? Or going to a wine bar? Right, now that one seems like probably some, some are saying, mm, yeah, standard, as Christians we shouldn't go to wine bars. But then there are some that say, it's not a big thing. And you're both right. Drinking coffee. Maybe that's one you wouldn't have expected to come up, but there's people that drink coffee on the basis of an addiction. Not so much in our culture. It's becoming, I mean, Starbucks in every corner, right? But particularly in America, my God, there's people that can't function. I mean, to me, that sounds like a drug. Can't function. But there's no law against it. How about... How about this one? How about, how about smoking? Smoking cigars or cigarettes. Now, I mentioned them too because evidently the other ones are illegal. <laughs> right, so they don't even factor in the equation, right? We ain't trying to encourage no one to break the law. The law of the land, that is. How about overeating? I got myself in trouble when I mentioned that one the last time. All right, well, how about, how about under-eating? I mean, our culture is such that we're encouraged. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? There's such a contradiction. They tell you to eat five a day, but then indirectly, there's a subconscious message that says, make sure you don't eat too much. But, that, but the too much isn't really too much. It's don't eat enough. I mean, what is it called? I mean, you've got all these programs on at the moment. Is it America's Top Model? Is that what it's called? America's top, Next Top Model. See? Some people believe that that is the only way to look. And you can't look like that and have, an, and have a healthy diet. You can't. Mm -mm. I take it they're not leaving because they're offended. I'm sure they're not. 
Okay, let me keep going through this list or we're going to be here all day. How about video games? How about swimming in underwear? I'm going to just let that one hang for a minute. <laughs> now remember, we're talking about 21st century culture. You want to go back to 1st century culture, since someone in a skimpy bathing suit, I mean, you only have to go back 100 years. Remember, they used to, the black and white movies, they ran out in these pyjama, like stripy pyjama things. It's a, it's, it's a question. It's something we can do but it's something that we don't necessarily have to do. How about TV? There's some Christians that don't watch television, don't own a TV. There are some churches that don't call it the, te the television, they call it the devil vision. <laughs> it's something you can and something you, you don't necessarily have to do. How about voting? Miss Harriet. Voting. Some Christians are very, sh we need to vote. I mean, as much as we need to pray for the, the government, I mean, well, if we're going to pray for them, then maybe we ought to consider voting for them or against them. But it's something that you can or you, you don't necessarily have to do. How about playing the lottery? Back in the day, I remember my mum my used to play the lottery. Maybe she still does, I can't remember. But at one point, she played the lottery, and I said to her, Oh, Mom, you played the lottery. Now, that's all I said, you know. I said, Mom, you played the lottery. And she went, Oh, you know, I must stop playing the lottery because it's gambling, and gambling is a sin. I said, Mom, gambling ain't even, the word ain't even in the Bible. But does that mean it's a good thing to do? Particularly when we know in Proverbs, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So that means if I'm playing the lottery, 52 weeks in a year, and I don't win, that's 52 times that my heart is made sick because my hope has been deferred. Ah, oh, maybe next week I'm going to win. Ah, oh, maybe next week I'm going to win. <laughs> now, it's not something that, if you do it, it's not a sin. I mean, unless... Boy, it's, on, it's, it's at the point where First Timothy 6 says, where you desire to become rich. You know, the verse says, check it, those who desire to be rich, not those who are rich, those who desire to be rich, fall into a snare and into a trap and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. That's, for, that's just for those who desire to be rich. But hey, you might be playing the lottery and you don't desire to be rich. You're just playing it for fun. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know people's motive. I mean, I walk past the betting shop and I see guys in the betting shop. And, and it does cross my mind. I wonder what the motive is. And I'll come, I'll, I'll come back and sum up kind of everything in a, in a second, but just to continue through the list. How about length of hair? How about, how about, I've got to move. How about celebrating or not celebrating Christmas? How about 
church membership. Something that you, you don't have to do. How about wearing a wedding ring? Oh man, you know my man's married and he never wears his wedding ring. Well, who said that he has to? <laughs> I'm just asking the questions. How about birth control? I mean, boy, we definitely need to talk about self-control if you're not married. <laughs> right? But for a couple that's married, should they use birth control or should they be just trusting in the Lord? I know that I know that Galatians 6, is it 7, says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You sow a seed, you're going to reap a harvest. (laughs) See, issues that are not necessarily sin, but issues of conscience. These are issues of wisdom. The wisdom issues. See, Timothy didn't need to be circumcised. But he was. In the same way as a Christian, is God challenging you in any of these, in any other areas? Not just to do something, but to not do something. I suspect we will have a lot to talk about in community groups this week. You can read Romans chapter 14 and also 1 Corinthians chapter 8 for further clarification on these issues. Verse 4 of our chapter, chapter 16, Acts. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So they got this, this, this letter and are communicating the contents of the letter, which is you don't need to be circumcised. And they're doing that to all of the churches in all of the cities that they're traveling through now. Right? This letter contains the conclusions from the Jerusalem summit in the last chapter. And it says the contents of the letter brings blessing. Look at verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Now remember, their aim wasn't to visit all the churches. I should say, their aim was to visit all of the churches that they'd previously visited. That is Paul with Barnabas, right? But look at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia. Now, There's a whole heap of places that we need to have a brief look at. So I've tried to put them on a map so we can identify them with a little bit more clarity. Okay, so that's the journeys that we just mentioned. They've already covered. So they're in Antioch. And they leave Antioch. And as I said, they go west. They go to Derbe and Lystra, the last cities, right? But watch. They travel northwest and not southwest. Because really they need to go back, at least to the churches they said that they'd visited, but they don't end up going back. Where they actually end up going now is to Phrygia. So let's zoom out slightly so we can see a little bit more of this map. They leave Lystra 
and they go up now to Phrygia, which is unusual, right? Verse 6 says they go to Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, Asia, as you can see, you got Asia is the ancient name for Turkey. They called Turkey back then Asia Minor. So it says that they were forbidden to speak the word in Asia. But wait a minute. Last week when we looked at the end of chapter 15, we were convinced that it was the will of the Lord that Paul and Silas go back to strengthen the churches. But it seems like, boy, it may not necessarily have been the will of the Lord. Well, we're going to see. So they go to the Turkish mainland, right? Now, we don't know how the Lord did this. That is, redirect them. So, we're not going to speculate. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 16, verse 3 says, Commit your way to the Lord, and your plans will be established. A bit like Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways. Lord, this is what I'm, I want to do. This is what I'm planning to do. But it may not be, the Lord be like, oh, what, what, that's not really what I want for you. And he will direct your paths. That is, if he agrees with your plans, but then he may end up redirecting your paths. Amen? Sometimes we cannot explain the process, but we understand the principle. And verse 7 says, And when they had come up to an, a place called Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Again, we don't know how. We don't know. Was it logs that fell, like trees that fell down in the road? or We don't know. So as I said, I'm... I'm not going to speculate. So they try again. Watch. This is the whole area of Galatia. They've tried to go to Mysia. Then watch what they do. They then choose to go to Bithynia. Now where's Bithynia? Based on the fact that they're feeling like, you know what? Maybe it's not the Lord. Maybe, maybe, maybe you know, whatever it was that prevented us was the devil. Let's head back to, let's go back to the churches because they need strengthening, right? Let's say that that was their perspective. Which direction would they go? They'd go back down at least southwest or south, right? Check it. Look what they do. They go northeast to Bithynia. Why? Because what they're doing is they're actually trying to make their way back round but true, the Lord never let them go south. But they're thinking, oh, well, maybe the Lord wants us to go up north and then make our way back down to Galatia. But what does the verse say? Verse 8. So passing by Mysia. <laughs> now let me show you this. What they now do is they leave Bithynia because the Lord blocks the road and they go back now. To Mysia. You see what I'm saying? This is complicated. They go back to Mysia, kind of going back for the second time because they'd just come from Mysia, but the door got blocked in Bithynia. Then I go back to Mysia, and now they go down to Troas. 
That means they crossed the, uh, the sorry, uh, back up. Troas is just north of Mysia. Can you see that on the map? But it's funny because it says that they go down, verse 8, to Troas. Down, just like we've talked about in the past. You go down to Antioch from Jerusalem. Even though Antioch is north, you go down. Because Jerusalem is high up. And you go down literally, you know what I'm saying, in terms of... Help me. You know, like on the ordnance survey maps, got contours. Thank you. They go down in altitude. Or the other word that I was thinking of that means the same thing. They go down. And they go, they go up, but they go down. Because where they are up in Mysia is highlands. And so they travel down to Troas, but it's actually north. And for those of you that really are interested in stuff like this, they're actually, Troas is four miles from Troy, from the city of Troy. <clears throat> so, they're at the coast, Troas. Not knowing exactly where to go now. Can you imagine? Boy, we tried to go here, we tried to go there. The Holy Spirit just keeps blocking the way. Evidently, two times we tried to go back to Galatia. We tried to go the regular route, blocked. So we try and go up, maybe come back on ourselves, blocked. So now they find themselves in Troas, which is on the coast. And they're literally at the end. They're at the end of the land, and they're possibly, potentially, at the end of themselves. And they don't know what to do. Have you ever been there? That is, have you ever been down to Troas? As it were. Look at verse 9. At that point and in that place, it says a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Wow. God is able to lead his apostle. And God is able also to lead his people, that is us, by his spirit. Romans 8 says that the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. Back to verse 9. It says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now Macedonia is across the Aegean Sea. And it's in, it's, it's, it's kind of going northwest of Mysia. And it's in Greece. Northern Greece. That whole area is called Macedonia. Verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to, into Macedonia. Concluding what? That God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See? Remember I said at the beginning of the message that we would meet an invisible guest? Who is not named... But we know who he is, and it's not Jesus, and it's not the Holy Spirit. Okay, like, well, if it ain't the Holy Spirit, it ain't Jesus, who is it? Notice the they passages up to verse 7. Notice the they passages up to verse 7. 
I'll just go back to verse 6. It says, and they, who's the they? Paul and Silas. And who now? Timothy. So the duet has become a trio, right? So Paul said, they went through the region of Phrygia, da 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 da, da. Holy Spirit, and when they had come up to Mysia, you notice, and they attempted to go into Bithynia, you see that in verse 7, um, verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, right? You see the they verses, the they passages, right? Well, when we get to verse 10, it changes. What does it change to? We, see? Who is the mystery guest in the text? Well, the mystery guest is the writer of the book. Luke. Up until Paul arrives in Troas, Luke hadn't been with them. The book of Acts, which is the follow-up book, to which book? The book of Luke is the second part of Luke's writings, both books up to this point have all been based on gathered eyewitness accounts that Luke has collated. He wasn't there in the account of the whole of his gospel, and right up to this chapter, Luke wasn't there. That's why he makes reference to them as them and they. See, he compiled everything Everything that we've been studying over the past year and a half in Acts, right up to the 15th chapter. But now, everything beyond this point will now be his personal eyewitness account. Because he's now a part of Paul's mission team. Hence, we are no longer they. So not only did Paul need to be redirected to Macedonia, so that he could preach the gospel there, and not where he had determined... But Paul was also redirected to meet Luke, the writer of this book. And God redirects a duet into a trio that becomes now a quartet. Paul and Silas are joined by Timothy, who are now joined by Luke, all on the basis of God's leading by his spirit. Amen. Now, this is really encouraging for us because sometimes, like Paul, we kind of know where we're going. But it may not necessarily be where the Lord wants us to go. But we can rest assured that if we're his disciples, then he will redirect us. Amen? We may not know how he's going to do it, and it's wonderful that the, that the Lord has as Luke has written, doesn't make reference to how the Lord did it because it's going to be different in, in all of our circumstances how the Lord will redirect us. I've kind of been waiting to get here because I wanted to mention, some of you might be saying, it's been two years now you guys said you're going to Jamaica. Yeah, we know. <laughs> I thought you lot were sure that that's where you were going. Well, we were. Now, we still aim to go but it seems like the Lord has redirected us at least temporarily. As you know, myself, Mark, I'm um, including Neil, we're all at Bible school. Still got another year to go, so we're not going to Jamaica for at least another year. Whereas we planned to be there last year. 
they're living, but it, it just never worked out like that. And um, at first, my pride was dented because it kind of come across like, boy, never really heard the Lord that clearly. You know what I mean? But because we are not there yet, we want you to be confident that it's not that we felt like we've missed the Lord. It's just that we realize that his timing is not our timing. And it's been a blessing that we never went. A lie, Mark. Because the stuff that we've learned over the past year has been invaluable. And we feel like the Lord is still continuing to, to lay foundation here anyway at South London. I mean, the group of leaders that are here, we're struggling already. Let alone, you know what I'm saying, for two people to be taken out. You know, the building could, who knows, could collapse. Not because we think that we're anything, but evidently the Lord has us here for a purpose. And I just say that to, to say with you, you know what I mean? Don't be disappointed because things ain't worked out the way you expected them to in your own life with regard to your own purposes and plans. But continue just to focus on being a disciple. And God will lead you and he'll direct you. And you may end up in a place like Paul in Troas. Oh my goodness. Here comes the vision. It's clear. What was we thinking? And then the challenge is at that point, do you really want to cross the sea and go to somewhere else? Somewhere different? Metaphorically speaking. And I mean, or do you want to go back to where, oh, we know, let's go back to where we're safe and we're our comfort zone. It's challenging, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that <clears throat> we far from know it all. What do we know, Lord? We know nothing at all. Lord, we, we can't determine what's going to take place in the next five years. We can't determine what's going to take place in the next five minutes, let alone five years. And even though we don't know the future, we know you, the one who holds the future. And Father, we thank you that we can, we can, we can plan for the future, but we can't plan on it. So I pray that you'd help us, Father, to, to trust in you. Trust in your, in, your, in your leading. Trust in your guiding by your spirit. We may be in a place now where we're one person or we're two people. We may be one person and determined to go in a certain direction because we're convinced that that is your will. And yet your desire is not that we go on our own but that we go with someone else. But we need to link up with that someone else and it might end up happening in a way that we didn't expect. Father, what is vital is your will, not our will, for our lives. Lord, we, we, our, our prayer needs to be, Father, not our will, but your will be done. And we realize that that's going to mean picking up a cross. It's going to mean denying ourselves. And Lord, it's, it's one thing not walking in your will and finding it hard. It's another thing walking in your will and finding it hard but having a grace that enables us 
to stay on that road, to stay on that path and to be able to, in the garden, like the Lord Jesus, as much as it hurts, initially say, take this cup away from me, Father. I can't drink this. I don't want this. I don't want this in my life. I don't want this, is, I don't want this to be my life. But then, Lord, what choice do we have? We pray that in that moment that you would help us in the way you helped the Lord Jesus to say, okay, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And that we would drink the cup. And that might be a marriage. It might be someone who feels like they can't go another day in their marriage. Lord, I pray that they would get on their knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, as it were, in the darkness and they may feel like they're sweating great drops of blood because they don't want to embrace this. But, Father, that your grace would be sufficient. It might be someone, Lord, who's confronting a changing career. It might be someone who you've called to do something that they really don't want to do. It might be the challenge with children as parents. It might be the challenge with a parent and as a young person I just can't deal with this no more Lord I pray that you provide the grace for them to be able to fall on their knees and say Father not my will but your will be done in my life help me to submit to your will Father I thank you Father that you will provide the grace that is sufficient for us in that time and Lord, last of all, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, in those areas where we have liberty to do things, but we also have liberty not to do them. And that you'd help us, Lord, to be able to hear what you're saying to us by your spirit. Give us ears to hear and help us to be cognizant of others, Lord, because they are being affected by the things that we feel we have license and liberty to do. Lord, help us to be sensitive in that sense. And again, to die and deny ourselves, Lord, for the benefit of others, Lord. <sighs> Father, I pray for our friends who are here who are not Christians, Lord, who have been listening in. And they've got a little window into our world. I pray, Father, as they continue to look in, that they would be further interested. Father, just like in the next portion of the text, that you would open their heart. Like, you, like you're going to do with Lydia. Open their hearts, Lord. Because if you don't open it, their heart won't open. Open their eyes, Lord, I pray. As they peer in. Allow them to be interested and further excited, Lord. And draw closer and nearer to you. In order that you might, hey, rather than peer through the window, why don't you just, why don't you come in? And allow them to experience that salvation that you've purchased, Lord, for those who, you've, who you redeem. For Jesus' sake we pray. 